thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We are continuing, continuing on this short series that, uh, that, that we called God didn't say that. And really, we, there's a lot of things that we hear and we believe that maybe God says or that is in the Word of God, but actually, it's actually not in the Bible. And actually, God really didn't say that. And since the Scriptures is our foundation as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, it's important that we understand what's actually in the Scriptures. And so the purpose of these messages is really to look and see what did God really say through his word. And because well-meaning, good-hearted, kind people, um, they use words that sound like words of wisdom. They sound like they come from an old sage who was sitting somewhere with a long beard. And you think, that is such wisdom. But the reality is, God didn't say them in the Bible. And so God wants us to be familiar with what he said in his word. And so for fun, I just want to give you a quick um, Bible knowledge test this morning. I'm going to give you 12 statements. I I want you to just listen to them. Let me give you a hint. 50% of them are in the Bible. 50% of them are not in the Bible. So I'm just going to read through them, and then I'll tell you which ones are in the Bible. Um, And then you can naturally subtract those that weren't in the Bible. So here, here it is. 12 statements. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And you you don't have to answer because I don't want you to be embarrassed. Is that in the Bible? Just put it in your head. The apple of my eye. We hear that a lot. Is that in the Bible? Eat, drink, and be merry. We hear that. Is that in the Bible? Like mother, like daughter. Another one is eat sour grapes. Is that in the Bible? The phrase the prodigal son. Is that in the Bible? Or a drop in the bucket. Another phrase that we hear often is the question is, is this in the Bible? The Lord's Prayer. Just a phrase, the Lord's Prayer. Another one is, this too shall pass. Another one is, confession is good for the soul. Another one is, honesty is the best policy. And the last one is this, by the skin of my teeth. So I'm going to tell you the six phrases that are found in the Bible. The first one that's found in what I read is this, the apple of my eye. It's, it's Zechariah, in Zechariah 2.8, speaking about Israel. The second one that's in the Bible is eat, drink, and be merry. Is that of, someone's like, yeah, well, let, let, hang on a second. There's context to these, just so you know. You're like, look, hey, mom, guess what I learned in, in church today? I, anyway. The context to that is if in, out of Ecclesiastes, which actually the whole filter of that book is this side of the grave without eternity in mind. Eat, drink, and be merry. This side of the grave without eternity in mind. Just need to clarify that. The third one that is in the Bible is like mother, like daughter. It's out of Ezekiel 16.44. The fourth one that's in the Bible, the phrase is you need to eat sour grapes. That's out of or you look like you ate sour grapes, one of the two. Out of Ezekiel 18.2. The fifth one is a drop in the bucket. That's out of Isaiah 40.15. And the last one that is in, out of the 12 that's in the Bible is this, by the skin of my teeth. And that's from Job 19.20. So the question is, how'd you do? 
Badly, yeah, badly, yeah. So here's the reality. You don't need to know everything about the Bible to, to, uh, to be a Christian. But, but what we do need to do as a family and as a church to ever be growing, ever be obeying, and ever letting the Word of God be the authority in our life. Not how we perceive it, but actually what it says. And so some of the problems with a lot of these misquoted phrases or, or um, well-meaning things that people say, they bring us to conclusions about ourselves and about God that actually aren't real or aren't true. Or the reality is God didn't say that. Actually, they bring us to a, to a pathway maybe even of reasoning that seems like it makes sense. It, it seems like, no, I, I guess that, that, that sounds like that would be in the Bible, but actually it's not in the Bible. It's kind of like the phrase we're looking at today, to let your conscience be your guide. This is so you need to know. The Bible doesn't say that. So many folks think that this is in the Bible. They think it's a true statement. So here's the question. Then where in the world did it come from? Which I love looking into these. And just so you know, this phrase came from something that's, that's actually not close to the Bible at all. It came from a Disney movie in 1940. A movie called Pinocchio. And in it, Jimmy Cricket sang a song to Pinocchio, which he said, take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle, and give a little whistle, and always let your conscience be your guide. Don't you feel silly for believing it? Well, since Jimmy said it, maybe we should obey it. So the question is this. Since that's not in the Bible, here's my question to all of us. Is that a true statement? Can you trust your conscience? Can you trust it? And I think the answer to that question is this. Sometimes you can. And actually when you break down this, this, um, the saying or actually the understanding of what a conscience means, it means to know within ourselves. In other words, there's something in us that we know, but to know means to actually have truth within ourselves. So a moral, internal compass that, that each of us, that, that our conscience is, that's what it's supposed to be. We're to understand inside, internally. And so because of the world we live in, most people actually don't know, they do not know what is going on internally. When we as, a, as, as Americans or anyone in the world, we are, we're not only peppered with messages every day to try to tell us what to think, what to believe, what to do, what is right, what is wrong. Not only that, we are force-fed every single day of our lives an agenda from the enemy to do, to go, and, and again, to believe anything that will get us off of God's best for our life. And so we're always hit with these messages all the time. So most have no idea what direction to go because they're processing, they're getting mixed signals. And so that which they think is true is actually not true. It, it's, it's like sitting at, at, a, at a stoplight and we're constantly being hit with like red, yellow, green, green, red, yellow, red, yellow, green. And it's just going off and we don't, do I go? Is this right? Is it okay for me to go? Should I stop? Do I, I don't know what to do. And so we're hit with all of these messages. And because we are confused along the way, we will find anyone in anything that is most confident about what they are saying or we, that we agree with or we want to agree with and we'll say, yep, that's the way and I'm going to follow that. Because I think we can all agree most of the moral advice that we will find on Twitter, 
on Facebook, on websites, on um, self-help, anything is totally, absolutely wrong. So then, how do we know right from wrong? So the question is, can you let your conscience be your God. I hopefully I want to answer some of these questions today regarding our conscience, regarding how we process, and that I'm telling you, let, let, just let me just this is a disclaimer: it's going to challenge you very deeply today. But my my hope and belief, and I believe God's hope and hope and desires that it would propel us forward to really access all He has for us. So here's the question: Where did your conscience come from? Number one, it was given to you. By God. Because here's your reality. We're all born with a conscience. It's not perfect by no means. But each of us has, has, a, has a fingerprint of God on our hearts. There's something there that gives us a guide of what is right and what is wrong. But the reality is we are all born sinful. We are all born fallen. We are all born with, with, with the sinful nature that we, that, that we are born with. And we're all born actually with a need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. But we each have a conscience that was given to us by God. Really, what it, it's a moral compass to lead us. It's a moral compass to point us to something that's greater than ourselves. To point us to something to help us know there's a reason why I lean this direction. And it's because obviously there's something internal going on inside of me. And actually, it is a witness to our creator, which is God, which is that fingerprint on our lives. Proverbs 20, 27 calls it this. It says, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. So it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a moral searchlight that's looking all through our own, our, our own hearts and our own desires and, and our mind to determine and to examine really what's going on. In the heart of every person, the reality is this, there is a, there is a moral compass or a conscience. No matter where you come from, no matter where you are, there is something inside of you, inside of humanity, that is a moral compass. The question is, where did that come from? And we know it came from the Lord. Just like when Adam and Eve sinned, they felt guilty about what they had done. Well, why? Why, they suddenly realized they were naked, and the first thing that they did is they, they wanted to hide their nakedness. They wanted to cover up their nakedness. They, they, why did they do that? Why did they know that they were naked? Why did they know that they were in sin? Because their conscience was operating. They were aware immediately that something had happened. And not only did they try to hide their nakedness when you read out of Genesis, when God came to talk to them, they tried to hide from God. Why? Because their conscience made them feel guilty. They knew I, it is very difficult for me to hide or I, I, to be in the presence of a holy God. So it makes me want to hide. It's the same thing that happens in all of our lives. Either one of two things. Either we hide and we run from God or we justify or we try to get scripture or our beliefs to line up what won't make us feel guilty. And no matter how hard we try, each of us deep down in our lives know the things that are off and the things that are on. Because there is a conscience in each one of us. Also in Genesis 4, Cain was angry with his brother Abel. He was so angry 
and God had, that God had, had, had favored him that, that Cain killed Abel. Remember, this was long before the Ten Commandments. It was long before anyone wrote on, on tablets on Mount Sinai that thou shalt not murder. When he did it, when he murdered Abel, he knew instinctively and immediately what he had done was wrong. Why? Because it was the fingerprint of God on his life. So we, as all of humanity, every person on the planet... We have two solid proofs, two witnesses that point us to God's existence, that point us to a God who created us. And the reality is you will never fulfill your purpose and your life call until you first come back into union with your creator. It's like an invention and the inventor. You're going to spin out here not knowing why you exist, why God made you, why, why do you have these gifts and talents, what's going on in your life until you first are connected with your creator. Creator, who is God, who can articulate what's going on. And so he's constantly drawing you closer to himself so that you would know him. So we have an external witness, and Scripture says it's creation. When you look around, yeah, I mean, nobody can look around. You see the mountains, you see, you see the lakes, you see creation, you see, you see animals, you see humanity, you see how did all of this happen. And then what's crazy is when you look at creation, something inside of you is moved. You feel actually really small. And Scripture says it is creation that is testifying of God. It's screaming to the world, God exists. There's a, there's a, there's a creator who created this and created you. And the same one that created you made your heart open to connect with creation. Because it's, why? Because it has that also as a fingerprint of God on it to, to do something inside of us. So there's the external witness. The other, other witness of a God that is greater than us that wants us to have a relationship with him is an internal witness, which is, I believe, our conscience. And someone, where, someone determined in each one of us a right and a wrong. Someone determined in us that, that, that there, is, there is something, I'm violating something if I murder or if I kill, which is the same, or if I steal, or if, if, I, if I lie, there's something in me that, that instinctively knows this isn't right. And so there's something in us. We don't even... You, you, you don't even have to grow up in church or read the Bible to understand there is a right and there is a wrong. There is a moral compass in every human being. Paul writes about it in Romans, speaking of the Gentiles who had not read the law. They did not, they did not, they did not embrace the Ten Commandments. He said this, Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. Isn't that interesting? They, they do the things in the law. They follow the law that they don't even have. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. So there's something in the hearts of humanity that can know right and wrong. Their conscience also bear witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So there's something in the heart of man that God has put, that helps us to determine right and wrong. And a conscience serves as a witness. I want you to hear me for a moment. The conscience serves as a witness to what we already know 
has been put there by God. So that is the reality. So if our conscience was given to us by God, if it is the fingerprint of God on your life, on your life, on your life, on your life, if, then, then here's the question. Why can't we trust it? Why can't we trust our conscience? Because we hear all that. Well, just, you know what? Just let your conscience be your guide. I'll tell you why. Because, number two, because it's corrupted by sin. That's why you can't trust it. It's corrupted by sin. Another, and maybe another word, it is suppressed by sin. And the problem, and there's all types of these quotes out there, but this is, the reality is this, the problem with the human heart is this, is that the heart is human. That's the problem. Our, 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 how our processing, where we're coming from, the problem with it is that it's coming from a human heart that is corrupted by sin. And the Bible says that every one of us will go our own way. So hang on, hang on. So if I'm going my own way, if the Bible says that I will go my own way, if I will choose my own pathway, what does that say about am I following my conscience? If I can trust my conscience, I wouldn't go my own way. And really what that means is this, is that without Jesus Christ, we are at the mercy to sin. Without Jesus Christ, we, we, the, sin will not just corrupt us, but it will totally destroy us. And over time, the more we go against what we know to be right, and all of us, all of us can, can, can attest to this, the more we know to go against what we know God's law is, we start operating from a different level of rightness. We actually change the standard. And what happens in, in church and Christianity over the ages is the standard changes with the culture. So you have, so if, um, it, it sounds maybe like this. Well, you know what, I'm, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. So our standard is now another fallen human. It isn't the reality and the holiness of God. So we, we change the standard. Why? Because, again, it's how we sin corrupts and suppresses our conscience. So we think, well, and as culture shifts, everyone else shifts around us. And then we say, well, but God couldn't have meant that. And so therefore, therefore, for the sake of love, I won't call that wrong. I will now call that right. And our standard changes. Why? Because we're corrupted by sin. Because we are searching however we can to do away with the guilt in our hearts. Because every one of us is guilty. I'm not standing here today telling you, well, listen, I wish you guys would get your life in order. No, I'm saying we need to get our life in order. Our standard cannot be another individual. Our standard can only be one individual, and that is Jesus Christ. And so when a person continually ignores a compass or the compass of his or her conscience, the conscience continues to become more and more corrupt. 
Listen, I grew up using, um, using a compass when we would go hunting. I, you would use it to, to help you know where in the world you were. And, and uh, I, I didn't have one of those, the, the iPhone that you did in the figure eight. And then you figured out which way. With no, I didn't have that. We had an actual compass that had this actual needle in it. I know this is crazy talk. I know, but I had one. And what I would do as a kid is I would, I'd get a magnet and, I, and I, I'd put the, the compass down and I'd see how fast I could get the, the needle to spin. Or I'd set the magnet over here and the needle would adjust to the magnet. The same thing happens in your conscience is when you expose it to repeated sin. It's much like the, the, the magnet. It no longer is a reliable guide for you. Your conscience doesn't become ruined though instantly. It happens gradually over time that it is corrupted. And we all know someone who loved God, someone who, who passionately, they, they, they really, they want to serve God. And maybe they got, they got saved and their life was drastically changed and we saw fruit in their life and, and, and their, their standards shifted and changed to, to do their best to align with the word of God. Just so you know, you can never live up to Jesus' standards without Jesus. So don't hear what I'm not saying today. This is not about you doing more. This is about us recognizing that we need Jesus more. But we know people who've, who are serving God and loving God. And, but somewhere along the way, the, the arrow or the needle of their moral compass wasn't pointing true north. Somewhere it got turned a little bit. Because why? I don't know. Maybe something happened in their life or maybe, maybe because they hit a financial problem. And so they thought, well, if I, just, if I just fudge a little bit. Or they had a family member who, who was in a, in a sinful lifestyle. And, and they said, I, 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 I can't reconcile how I can say they're in sin. But, but God is love, so I, I will change my needle just a little bit. Now, just because you call something sin doesn't mean you don't love people. doesn't mean you don't care for people. doesn't mean you're not a friend to sinners like Jesus was. It doesn't mean that. It just means for us, because we're always trying to reconcile the world, the culture, the Bible, Jesus, me. It's, it's this battle. And our true north, we can, just, we can shift it just a little bit. Just why? Because we ourselves are trying to deal with, with our own conscience. And the reality is we live in a sinful, corrupted world that's always chasing our conscience. The enemy is chasing because he doesn't want you to have Jesus as your standard. He wants you to have some other thing as your standard. Now the reality is these people that we know, maybe you're even here today, you can, you can ultimately say, well, that, that, the full corruption or the full trajectory that was now way off, and didn't, it didn't start immediate. Someone didn't say one day, say, I'm going to do this. It was a little shift. It was a slow fade. It was a small adjustment to, to make something in their hearts maybe not feel as guilty. It didn't happen overnight. But now, if you look back over time, now they've become something, or maybe you've become something that you never thought you would. But they say, you know, no, but I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And now they cannot see the sin in their life anymore. Isn't that interesting? Christians and followers of Jesus now have sin totally they accept it completely in their lives. 
And they don't call it sin anymore. It's, now let me clarify. It's one thing to struggle with sin. It's another thing to accept sin as your lifestyle. It's one thing to, to struggle, with, to say, you know, man, I, I, I struggle with, with, with alcoholism. Listen, brother, you and sister, you keep fighting the fight. The grace of God is going to, because you recognize that I don't want this in my life. It's another thing to say, no, no, alcohol, I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I love alcohol, and I embrace it totally, and God doesn't mind me embracing alcohol. That's totally different. Or it's to say, you know what, it, 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 you know what? Um, I, I, I'm struggling with, like, I'm really attracted to my girlfriend and my boyfriend. And, you know, maybe you've fallen and, and you've had sex outside of marriage and you realize, you know what, I, that's God, that's not your best. Lord, I'm sorry. Listen, God's grace can cover you and God's grace will cover you. There will be consequences for it. But the reality is this, that's one way. The other way is to say, you know what, sex outside of marriage doesn't matter. Because God knows, God knows I have needs. God knows they have needs. God knows we live in a sexualized culture that's, you know, listen, that it's, it doesn't matter. What matters is I just love Jesus. No, hang on a minute. That sounds good, but that's not in the Bible. And it's another thing to no longer see Scripture as an authority and instead of asking God to help you move away from sin, we ask God to forgive us so we can stay in our sin. There's a difference. Titus, Paul writes this letter to Titus. This is what he writes. To those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In other words, they, they, they don't believe that, that there's a purity of life. In fact, both their minds and conscience are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Now listen, listen, friends. I'm not saying this today. This isn't, this isn't me. And every scripture in the Bible is filtered to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where it, where it triggers something in our hearts and we go, oh. The enemy says, see. The enemy points his long finger and says, see, you're a sinner. And you'll never change. The gospel says, I want to reveal to you that you have sinned. And I have a better life for you. So come and follow me. Remember, you remember the, the, the woman who was caught in adultery? And the, the religious leaders, man, they were going to kill her actually. They were going to throw stones at her until she was knocked unconscious, unconscious and die. Jesus stepped in and he said, hey, hey, hang on a minute. This is the, actually, it's the first recorded um, message that Jesus ever wrote down. He wrote something in the dirt. I, who knows what he said. But the religious leaders left one by one. And then what did he say to the woman who was, who was in sin? He says, your sins are forgiven. And he didn't stop there. What did he say? Now go and what? Sin no more. So there is a, there's a calling of God on, on believers to live up to the standard that he set for us. And he said, go. And he didn't say, you were forgiven. Now continue in the lifestyle of sin. He said, you were forgiven. Now go and sin no more. 
So the reality is this. A person can keep living in sin and ignore God's loving conviction and caring, drawing you up to a new place from one glory to another glory. And eventually, though, as they keep ignoring it, as they keep suppressing it, the voice of God, eventually their moral compass or conscience can die. The Bible explains it this way out of 1 Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, meaning now, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's a very strong statement there. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. In other words, it is like a melted piece of plastic. It, it is hard. It no longer has any feeling in it whatsoever. Because over time, it has become seared. And when we look at people who have slowly allowed their true north to be shifted, we see this has happened over time. And I, I want to encourage you as the believers of the church. Listen, just because you call something a sin doesn't mean you don't love that individual. Because there's a balance of love and truth. Love and truth. Jesus was a man of incredible love and incredible truth. Love. And what's happened today is we've actually, we, in, in the gospel We've taken the gospel and we created, we've just fanned the flame of love. And there's nothing, listen, God is, God is love. I get it. I totally get it. But what happens when you just love, you love people, but you don't tell them truth, and therefore they don't change. And therefore they can't change because we love them, but we don't ever speak life and truth into their life. Or we, it's usually the opposite. Or we just have truth, and we're just a bunch of, bunch of cranky Christians telling everybody how terrible they are. And there's no love. And they're like, yeah, thanks a lot. I, I think you take your little religion thing, you, just, you do your own thing. There's this balance that Jesus, he, he exampled perfectly for us. Love and truth. Love and truth. Truth and love. You, you often wonder how did, how did um, Nazis during World War II, how did they get to the place where, where they exterminated Jews. They did experiments on Jewish children. It was horrific. How do they even get to the place? Because many of them were, grew up in a Lutheran background. How do they ever get to the place where they actually believe they were doing the world a favor by killing Jews? What in the world? Over time, their conscience had been seared. Really, you, the reality is you don't have to murder anyone to have your conscience seared. You just have to compromise and ignore what you know to be true and compromise again. And some people have, some people have cheated. Listen, we're on, we're on tax season. Here we are. Some people have cheated on their income tax for so long, they have convinced themselves that actually there's nothing wrong with it. Everyone say, uh-oh. Jason, don't start meddling in my life. Don't you, you get away. Here's reality. I've I, known, known Christian men who claimed to be Christians, who later found out they, they were carrying on adulterous relationships and they, and they didn't have any guilt about it. What in the world? They were more sorry they got caught than they were they were doing it. What happened? 
And here's the main reason you should never live by your feelings. Because like your conscience, your feelings can be totally wrong. Totally wrong. Here's one of the great things about our loving God. Even as we are convicted of our sin in our lives, the precious love of the Father is revealing it to you because He has a better way for you. Because He has a better plan for you. Because every one of us in this room, God has more for us. You don't have to carry the guilt. You don't have to carry your mistakes. You don't have to carry the shame. So here's the question. How do I clear and cleanse my guilty conscience? Here's the question number three is this. Jesus is the only way to clear and cleanse your guilty conscience. He's the only way. Here's a good thing about a guilty conscience. <laughs> there are a lot of horrible things. There's a good thing about a guilty conscience is that, God, that, one, God's made it hard to ignore. But here's the deal. If you're sitting here today and you're like, oh, this is touching something in my conscience that I don't like. That's a good sign. It shows your conscience isn't seared. It isn't dead, but it's longing to be free from guilt. And when you hear truth that's spoken in love, you begin to have hope. You begin to know I don't have to live like this. I don't have to carry this. I don't have to hide this. I can actually do something and run to Jesus. Hebrews 10.22 says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. In other words, recognizing we need him. Recognizing we're, we, we have a guiltiness inside of us. And with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And God's given us three powerful realities. I'm just going to touch briefly on how. To cleanse our conscience, or our conscience can be affected. Number one, our conscience can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. It can be cleansed white as snow. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, Though my sins are as red as scarlet, you will wash me as white as snow. What happened to an individual's body when they contracted leprosy is that it first was revealed by a red rash that happened in all the different areas of their bodies, their extremities. And it was the sign that they had leprosy. And leprosy ultimately killed you. It corrupted you slowly until you died. That's sin. And here you have Though you are red as scarlet, in other words, though you are corrupted by sin, Jesus will make you as white as snow. Where sin doesn't corrupt you anymore. So our conscience can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. There, in certain areas around the world, there are people who beat themselves. There are people who crawl for miles on their knees to a church, to an altar, to a, to a special rock somewhere. So that somehow they could pay the penalty for their guilt or somehow get rid of the guilt in their own soul. And they think it's by what I do. It's by inflicting pain on my own self. But the Bible says there is, God doesn't require that of you. There's only one way and only one person who suffered who has paid the penalty for your guilt, who has paid the penalty for your sin. And that is his son, Jesus Christ. And that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Hebrews 9.14 says this. Now remember, the writer of Hebrews is talking about how they used to sacrifice bulls and goats and the shedding of blood. And, and, and by that, they, they would cover sins, but it never removed the guilty conscience of it. So the Old Testament, the sacrifice, and, you know, people, we, we promote that. It's very powerful. There's a lot of real truth in that. But the reality is it was a type. It was a shadow of the real thing to come, which was Jesus Christ. It, it, I'm telling you, it's like, it, it's like the smell of baking bread, but it's not getting to eat the real thing. There's a major difference. And so that did not remove guilt. They were covered. They had to know I'm okay with God, but they walked around with the guilt and the shame of sin. And this is what Hebrews 9 says is, How much more then with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. In other words, God wants to redeem you and bring you back to your original purpose, why he created you, why he made you, why he put you on this earth. He wants you to know him. He wants you to find freedom. He wants you to discover your purpose, and he ultimately wants you to make a difference. Another thing that our conscience can be impacted by is that it can be corrected by the word of God. Listen, we need a baseline in our life because the world is not our baseline. Twitter is not our baseline. Fox News is not our baseline. CNN is not our baseline. No, no, no group that has championed certain things, and there's tons of them, that's not our baseline. What our baseline is, is the Word of God. What does it say? Whether I like it or not, what does it say? 2 Timothy says this about Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God always points people to Jesus. Here's the deal. We don't get to decide what is right or wrong. I want to say that one more time. We do not get to decide what is right or wrong. You can have preferences on style of worship. You can have preferences on, on whether, you, whether you like, you know, churches that look like this or like that. But you do not get to put your preference on this word of God at all. It stands alone. It is our guide. It is our baseline. It is what it, this is what we follow. And we cannot pick and choose what it says in it either. We cannot highlight the things we like with a yellow and highlight the other things we don't like with a black sharpie. <laughs> we can't do it. We, we are to be corrected by the Word of God. Your standard for morality, our compass, is not what the majority says, is not what the culture says, it's not what people think people do, it's not what's easiest, it's what God says. Lastly is this, our conscience is also directed by the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, this is what you need to know, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You are not alone navigating through life. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit, Scripture even says the Holy Spirit will bring remembrance, it will bring to your mind what you read in Scripture. Bring remembrance to you when you face something. The Holy, the Holy Spirit will give you words to say when you need Holy Spirit will help you to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit will help you to walk in power and anointing. Holy Spirit, when you step into a situation and you don't know what in the world am I going to do, you can trust in the Holy Spirit. Because what the Scripture says 
out of John is this. It says this. But when he, the spirit of truth, this Jesus said this to the disciples, comes, he will guide you. And how much truth? All truth. So the combination of the word of God and the spirit of truth together. You need both. You need, you need the, some people know the words in this book, but they don't know the author of this book. Some people know that what the words say, but they don't know the nature of the one who wrote this book. The spirit of truth helps you to discern. Also, what the Holy Spirit does is you need to, one of the, you need to access the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. I've seen a lot of people that know this, but they've got no love, joy. They are cranky. They are the meanest things on the face of the planet. I mean, when they cry, I'm pretty sure their tears are vinegar. It's just how it is. But the Holy Spirit helps us take steps. Also, you need to know something. Every one of you in this room, you are anointed by God. God's hand. We all, oh, the, boy, they're anointed. You know, John, you're anointed. That's what it, you know, it's a, you're anointed. And somehow it's this, it's this, ooh, anointed. It's kind of weird. But here's the deal. Scripture doesn't say that. Yeah, you have people who have certain gifts. You have certain pe- people who have certain offices that they fulfill that, that God uses to do certain things. But everyone in this room is anointed by the Holy Spirit. God has put in you the spirit to overcome sin. He's put in, your, in you the power to overcome your flesh. That in your weakness, his power is made perfect. The Holy Spirit is in you. First John 2.20 says this. But you have... An anointing. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you, what? Know the truth. In other words, the Holy Spirit helps guide our conscience. Helps direct us. And I don't know where you are today, but I'd be willing to think through this message because God is good. His word is is sharper than any two-edged sword that it cuts us and heals us all at the same time. I don't know how he does it, but he does. He's put his finger on something in our hearts that we realize, you know what, I've been compromising here. And God, again, the Holy Spirit doesn't point out things in us to keep us. He points it out so he says, listen, I've got a better way. And I'm the power that's going to pick you up and carry. You just tell me. You say, take me. You say, I'm wrong. You say, "I, I admit that I need you. And he will pick you up and he will take you to where you need to go. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Condemnation points out you're wrong and doesn't give you anything to get out of your sin. Conviction shows you where you're wrong. And it gives you hope to be better than a life that you could ever be and to live a life you could ever live. I know there are all of us here today. There were things in our life that we say, Lord, I've allowed something else to be the standard. I've allowed something else to guide me. I've allowed... I've allowed culture, I've allowed, maybe I've compared myself against other people. I've allowed my desires to justify my life. I've allowed my needs to justify why I'm doing something. And the Holy Spirit wants to say, I've got a better life for you. And he's inviting you and all of us.
to live it. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.